putting the mental in fundamental. It's the Drew Marshall Show on Joy 1250. To make the morning last Just kicking down the cobblestones Looking for fun and feeling groovy Feeling groovy I remember uh, Dave Smiley always reminded me Hello of Garfunkel <laughs> Totally! Right? <laughs> How many times... Uh, oh my a month gosh. do we mention Dave, Dave Smiley, Smiley on this show? Oh. None of you know who Dave Smiley is. Well, some of you might, but he was a guy we all knew at camp when we were younger, and he'd open the door and like three in the morning to the bunkhouse, and he'd go, "Guys, guys!" We'd all wake up. What? The night is electric. Let's go do something. Let's raid. So we'd steal ice cream from the kitchen, or and then something. and then everybody but Dave would get caught. Yeah. That was irritating. Jeez. Speaking of irritating, no, I shouldn't segue no, the nice. next guest like very, that. Very, very nice. No, what I was—I was gonna say it's like that commercial. What? When you're be sincere, even when you're not. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I was gonna say that um, I don't workaholics. Well, there's a reason they call them workaholics. There's, yeah. there's a problem, and they—and I don't—I don't, I don't want to hang around workaholics because it makes me look bad. First of all, yeah, uh, that's the main thing. And then the other thing is, um, they there's a problem. There's a serious problem. Could do you? Yeah, for sure. No, you know one. Yeah, I do. She's got a problem. Yes, but she's hot, so <laughs> I let it go sometimes. <laughs> Just to clarify, we're yes. talking about his wife. Yes. Sorry, yes. Katrina Onstad is an award-winning journalist, author of The Weekend Effect, The Life-Changing Benefits of Taking Time Off and Challenging the Cult of Overwork. In a book that is part investigation, part personal, I don't know why my voice did that, part personal odyssey, award-winning Toronto-based journalist Katrina Onstad Searches for the lost weekend and, crucially, how we can get it back. The weekend once, uh, once uh, you know, sort of this uh, sacred 48 hours of leisure, has been lost to overbooked schedules, pinging devices, encroaching work demands, and so much more. Many of us are working more hours than we did a decade ago, and worser, real word, we allow those hours to slide over seven days a week, giving us no respite to tune out and recharge. We don't need the research to tell us that this is hurting us. We know. We know because our health is deteriorating, deteriorating. Our social networks, like the face-to-face kind, are weak and our productivity is down. That's kind of a weird thing. Eh? All this technology was supposed to help speed up the productivity, but is it down? No, I think what's happened is made things easier so we do it more. Like email was supposed to make it right. communicating easier so we do it more. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, It wasn't long ago that working less and living more was considered an American virtue, so says the Canadian. But what happened? (laughs) In the weekend effect, journalist Katrina Onstad, suffering herself from Sunday night letdown, I so want to ask her about that, digs into the history, the positive psychology, and the cultural anthropology of the great missing weekend. And she joins us right now from, I think, Tirana. Hello, Katrina. Hi, how are you? I'm quite well. Quite well. Um, the Sunday night letdown. You, you got you to gotta explain that, please. 
Yeah, well, maybe it'll be familiar to you or some of your listeners. Um, this actually is a phenomenon that people have, have researched. Um, but for me personally, it manifested as on Sunday nights, my son, who's at the time was about 11, would look up at me as I tucked him into bed and say, are you kidding me? Was that a weekend? <laughs> he had inborn understanding that the weekend had sucked. And he actually did feel rejuvenated, arrested, or all of the things that we expect from our weekends and we deserve from our weekends. So it kind of gave me pause to step back and um, investigate this state of being, see if other people were suffering these Sunday night blues or Sunday night letdown as we were, and uh, to find out how we got here and what we could do better. That's such a great phrase. Katrina Onstad is an award-winning journalist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, The Guardian, The Globe and Mail, and Elle. Wait, didn't L just come up in that last conversation? Who's he was bragging about his was girlfriend? On the cover of yeah, L. Oh yeah, yeah, the guy, the, 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 the charity water guy. guy. Yeah, her novels include "How Happy to Be" and the national bestseller "Everybody Has Everything," which was longlisted for the Scotia Bank Giller Prize. Well done, and shortlisted for the Toronto Book Award. One's a long list, one's a short list, and she lives <laughs> in Toronto with her family. How's your weekend going so far? You know, whenever people ask me that now, I feel uh, very jumpy and nervous that I'm going to give the wrong answer. Yeah. Uh, but my weekend so far has actually uh, been recovering from my launch last night. So I'll be brutally honest and say that a little wine was consumed and today has not been maybe exemplary. But I have rested. I did get outside, which I have found to be um, a huge piece of an improved weekend. Yes. Um, something that I was not so good at before. But just getting into a little bit of green space, I have found has an incredible kind of nourishment. Uh, property. So yeah, I did, I did get out to the park, which has been great. So I think uh, subconsciously we all realize that something's wrong. You know what I mean? And I don't mm -hmm. think it's like end of the world, Donald Trump, something's wrong. I think... <laughs> <laughs> I think what we think is that our just the way we are managing our lives, our time, there's just the constant buzz in the, in our brains. It's kind of like we have uh, tinnitus of the brain. It's just this constant irritating. Like a mosquito. Something's wrong, like a mosquito. Brain, yes. Yeah. And I think yeah. it, I think it ties in with exactly what you're talking about. Do you agree? Yeah. I definitely agree, and I actually love that expression. I might steal it, tinnitus of the brain, because, I mean, one of the big things that's happened is our relationship to work has changed. Our relationship to everything in our lives has changed because of technology, but, you know, particularly work, because for so many of us, we leave the office, but we don't actually sever our relationship to the office, right? We carry our cell phones in our pockets, and we kind of carry our work on our bodies, and we're, even if we're not actually doing the work, we're kind of in a state of high alert, maybe that buzzing you're describing, right? Like we know we can check in, we should check in, we need to look like we're available because these are fragile economic times and everybody wants to be a good employee, right? So you're checking in on the Sunday and letting your, you know, asserting your presence at work, even when you're not technically at work. So that's part of this kind of blurring of, you know, private time and work time. That's, that's a really new phenomenon. I... I, I talk to a lot of people in different area codes, and the main area codes I speak to are uh, 212 New York, 615 Nashville, and 310 Hollywood. And there, I love, always love phoning people in 615. They are just chilled, and it's great, and there's no worries, and it's all just y'all have a nice day stuff. <laughs> 212s, you know, they're a little sooty. They're a little wound, right? But the 310ers are just aliens. They just... 
they want to let this everybody know that they're too busy to be speaking to you now. What do you want? I've got 70 million other things to do right now, and you are irritating my life at this point in time. What do you want? That's what it's like Uh-oh. talking to someone on, at the, on the 310. Yeah, I mean, I do. I think there is some. There is a kind of competitive busyness out there, yes, right? It becomes almost like you have to perform your own kind of manic work. Like it's a supply demand thing. Like, look how desirable I am. Like how exhausted I am. Like how much harder I work than you. Um, and you know, when I've worked in offices, people will really be proud of the fact that they did didn't take the weekend off. That they did work late on Friday. And it's this weird kind of currency. Um, around busyness, which is the opposite. This is something I discovered in the book. It's the opposite of how it used to be, right? Like you were part of the leisure to the moneyed class. If you were successful, meant you had a lot of downtime, a lot of time off. But in fact, now we accrue status to busyness. So yeah, I think that's probably what you're feeling when you're calling that area code. But I, would, I bet that there's people uh, in Nashville who are also stressed out. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there is, yeah. The first time I really picked up on the fact that I needed to look busy was uh, when I was working at a camp and I was the program director and I was in charge of hyperactivity. I was in charge of the games, the fun, the singing, the goofiness, the announcements, the skits. The I mean, I was just, I had the glory job. I had the, everybody wanted my job. True, right, Tim? Except for me. <laughs> I like to be your assistant. Right. Everybody wanted my job because it was the fun. But 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 I realized that if I had a nap in the afternoon, I would get crucified and people wouldn't, the counselors wouldn't want to do what I, what I asked them to do. Or if they saw me driving around in the golf cart, which I, which I got, they got bugged because, oh, look, he's driving around in yeah. the golf cart. So I just moved faster. I did everything faster. Every time I was out in public, I made it look like I was really, really on a mission because I felt guilty about doing a fun job. Do you see any correlation with that story? Please tell me there's some correlation between that story and all the fun jobs that are around these days versus real work is digging a post hole. Real work is sweating and janitor and real work is when you're exhausted physically. The factory, that's a real job. And if you work for Google or you're playing ping pong to get creative ideas, that's not real work. So you need to work 14 hours just so everyone else will back off. That was the longest question in the history of questions. Oh, it's really interesting, actually, that that idea that that um, because this these kind of creative class jobs, if we, if we want to use that yeah. phrase, or knowledge worker jobs, that they don't look as industrious or as laborious as like hard hard labor, right? Um, so people have to look or perform it being more exhausted by them or something. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Those kinds of jobs with the ping pong table in the office and the bouncy balls and <laughs> um, you know th- that's a, a really new way of working and it's a kind of importing play into work that is really let's face it designed to make people stay at work longer right mm-hmm. so people in those jobs i think they are working longer hours it doesn't necessarily mean they're doing better work like just as you might have actually been a better counselor had you taken a nap that afternoon <laughs> often people working really long hours isn't correlated with being more productive or making more widgets in fact after about 40 hours a week people start introducing errors and they're worse at what they do so it is this kind of it's you know a little bit of a protestant mindset maybe like you know work 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 is virtuous work is work is good but in fact pulling back from work might make you a better worker and it definitely will make you a better person I just want to introduce my uh, engineer, Tim the Tool. Tim, hello. do you have something yeah, to add um, to this conversation? No, not making excuses for overworking, but do you think that the fact that um, a lot of things are being downloaded 
Uh, like, for example, my wife is doing a job right now that, you know, another half person had done in addition to her. That half person was let go and now she's doing like one and a half person's job. Do you think that's mm-hmm. potentially part of the problem? Not necessarily our fault for overworking and trying to look busy, but just the fact of life. Yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, like, economically, work is so fragmented now, right? Like what you're describing, you know, we've seen wages stagnate, we've seen, uh, you know, unemployment kind of stagnate, and this this new insecure worker economy where a lot of people are patching together one career out of several jobs, or you're seeing the kind of thing that you describe where there's been downsizing and a, an employee will suddenly be doing a job and a half or the work of two people. Um, and this is a real, this is a big part of it, of how we got <laughs> to this state of, kind of high anxiety about work. Like it's not imaginary, right? Like we, of course we want to be good employees and do our best work, but um, you know, it's like the workplaces haven't caught, haven't caught up with the inhumanity of this and that it's also not serving them. Like if your wife is burnt out and what, what would probably be better for them the business case would be that they should hire someone else to do that job and they're actually going to probably make more money whatever the, and have a better bottom line but yeah i mean there's definitely something going on um with the actual way that we're working that's being reflected back in our bodies and our psyches uh, we're on the line with katrina onstead uh, she is an award-winning journalist and she's the author of this book we have here in my hands it's called the weekend effect the life-changing benefits of taking time off and challenging the cult of overwork. We're giving away a copy of today's HarperCollins Canada book to one of our Facebook followers, but there's a catch. Uh, you've actually got to be one of our Facebook followers, and you got to be from Canada because we ain't mailing it outside the border. And uh, and Donald Trump doesn't allow that kind of stuff to cross the border. Um, but you, you, uh, you have to include your address. So send us a private message on the Drew Marshall Facebook page, and you could win a copy of today's book from HarperCollins Canada, The Weekend Effect. Katrina, in your research that you did for this book, have you come across something that someone once told me at a seminar I was at in Australia many years ago? It was, it was especially to workers who worked in the people helping industry. And they said to these people, you need to take two days off back to back, not a day here and then another day here, two days back to back. Have you heard anything like that at all? Um, yeah, I, I mean... This is this is a problem, right? Our time is so fragmented, and a lot of people in this gig economy, instead of getting the full 48 hours, will get like a Tuesday off, and then a Friday afternoon, and then a Sunday morning, right? And they have to sort of try and piece that together and have some kind of weekend-like experience over the course of the week. But it's actually, no, it's not as good for you, right? A full 48, and so many of us are not lucky enough to get it, right? right. So, you know, my book is, is also really about what can you do with the little time you do have. It's a book for people who don't get the full 48 too. But if you do have the full 48, um, you actually are, your brain is actually going to slow down. And if, especially if you use that 48 hours wisely and you have a little bit of kind of purposeless time in there, um, and you fill that time with like activities that bring meaning to your life and aren't just kind of vegetative Netflix state that so many of us revert to because we're so tired, right? Um, so yeah, if you can get the full 48 and use it well, it does make a huge different difference psychologically, physically, everything. Uh, Katrina, is this not? I'm sorry to. I'm sure you've been asked this before, but yeah. I, I've, I've just got to do this. So I, I do a monthly segment with my dad, who is 83 years old. He grew up on the farm. The segment is called Meanwhile Back in the Farm, and he tells us fun stories about back in the day on the farm. And, you know, his generation, 
I'm wondering if they would look at this book and sort of laugh, you know, ha ha ha. They throw their head back, ha ha ha. You know, you guys, you want y'all. Everyone wants time off, and back in our day, we had to work, you know, da 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 da, and walk two miles to school uphill through snow both ways. Um, is this just a? Is this a problem for us because we are, we are wimps? <laughs> Wait, your first world problem, problem is that what they call yeah, it? First, yeah, first world problem, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in many regards, of course. Like, I pro- you know, none of us want to change places with a factory worker in a third world country, right? Um, but in terms of this, inter- this intergenerational relevancy, I actually think, I think that what, and I have been asked this question, by the way, like, yes, maybe our parents or our grandparents worked longer, but I am quite certain that the quality, the time that they had off was a, a really different caliber than what we right. had. Like, I, they knew how to be off. And so they got the bet because they weren't on call the way that we are. Right. Um, and we know that, you know, social connections and visiting before, you know, before they even had the telephone, you have to go door to door and actually be with the people that you loved or that you, you know, those relationships that provide us with all of the meaning in our lives. Um, and when they're off, they're off. And I think that that is really, you know, n- not something that can be easily dismissed. Like, I, I think that this is something that does uh, affect a-, a large swath of our population and isn't just like whining. I think it's important. It's quality of life. And I think that I think that is relevant. Hmm. Um, OK, I I know people who uh, Tim, we alluded to his wife earlier about her being a workaholic. Uh, I had a boss in Australia who came in one time uh, I happened to be working late because I just started the job, and I was trying to, to be honest, I was just trying to suck up and impress, uh, and so I was working late, and and um, I think that's what you do at any first job, oh, yeah. and, and then and then you slack off. Um, and he walked into my office and said, oh, looks like we got another guy who likes to work really hard, and it was like 6.30, 7 at night, and I thought, no, no, that is not me. I don't, I mean, I, sure, I, I'll work hard when it's time to work hard, but... I've always been a proponent of work smarter, not harder, and I don't think that we need to raise the flag of workaholicism nice. up, up the flagpole and go, hey, look at me, I'm a workaholic. Like, who brags about that? I don't, I just, that's something I don't get. Well, I'm glad you don't get it because I imagine that you manage a lot of people, and I think, you know, industry leaders and people who have employees beneath them, if they can adopt the attitude you just described, we'd all be healthier because this isn't really something that we can do on our own, right? Like we need modeling from on high to, to we need bosses who say, yeah, like having a life outside of work is good and we don't expect you to be 24 seven available and we don't expect all encompassing loyalty. Like we want you to not be boring. We want you to have experiences and identity beyond work. But yeah, there is a mindset and it's very, I think, kind of new world in North American, right? Like we were, we're the hustlers, we're the settlers, you know? And so I think when, if you say like, actually I am stepping back or I don't work as much or I'm gonna be part-time for a little bit, it looks like laziness, right? Like it's a very kind of ingrained attitude towards not working. And you can see this sometimes when people on the news will talk about the unemployed with a real contempt, right? Like that they're the lazy unemployed, the entitled or whatever, you know? and. So it, there's a real mindset around working and not working that feeds into a lot of these issues. Well, uh, Katrina Onstad pushes back against the uh, all-work, no-fun ethos and follows the uh, trials of people, companies, and countries who are vigilantly, oh, such a hard word to say, protecting their weekends for joy, for adventure, and most importantly, for meaning. Uh, readers of the Happiness Project, all joy and no fun and 
and thrive will find personal and business inspiration in Onstad's well-researched argument to reframe our weekends. A well-lived weekend is the gateway to a well-lived life. The weekend effect shows us how, by saving the weekend, we can save ourselves. Katrina, you are a pleasure to interview. Thank you very much for that time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was great. I'm a little bugged that I wasn't invited uh, to the uh, shindig last night. I, you know... (laughs) Sorry. You're top of the list for the next one. Yes. <laughs> Wait a I've done that my whole life. Just weaseled my way into social things, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye, Katrina. Thanks, Bye. guys. All right. A short break. Stay with us. 